Well, uh, as a church, we've, for the last month or so, been reading through the New Testament. We're coming close to the end now. And, you know, we've kind of seen that, you know, it's the story of God fulfilling his longtime promise to all of us that he would send a savior. He would send someone uh, to rescue us, um, to make to make things right, to to heal the brokenness of the world. Um, and as we've you know looked at the story throughout the New Testament, it's you know it's clear that people were expecting a different kind of savior than God sent. People were more expecting a savior that would come um, with the power of the world, uh, the power that we see around us power to overthrow the Romans, to um, set up a new kingdom on earth. But God was coming with a different power and saving us in a little bit unexpected way. And the good news wasn't that he was going to overthrow all worldly power, but he was going to overthrow spiritual power and give us life, not based on us being good or us doing the right thing, um, earning it in some way, but that he was going to give us life based on forgiveness life based on his love for us and totally apart from whether we had done what it took to deserve it. Uh, and Peter experienced this firsthand as one of Jesus' closest friends. And since Jesus died and rose from the dead, Peter had been telling people about this, this new salvation that came through Jesus, this grace that we sang about this gift that we didn't deserve, but that God gave us this forgiveness, this, um, this new way to access the life that God has for us. And uh, this letter, which referred to as first Peter, uh, he wrote to some folks that he had heard about. He addresses it in verse one to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, so these these areas are all places that we would locate now in the modern um, country of Turkey, Asia Minor there, northwest of Israel. And it's likely that these people have heard about Jesus through Paul's uh, journeys. Uh, Paul had gone into this area and told people about Jesus and then come back and reported to Peter and others what was happening. So Peter had heard about these guys. He wanted to write a letter of encouragement and to remind them of what they'd heard about Jesus. And he, he summarizes that, that message uh, by saying this in verse 3. Uh, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Uh, so he he describes it in God's mercy. You know, it's not something we deserved. New birth. There's this new way of living, uh, not based on what we can do, but based on what he's doing for us. Uh, a living hope. Uh, there's, there's hope for good things to come to us now. Um, not, not the result of our works, but the result of his love. And that's, that is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And there's a great inheritance waiting for us. You know, it's just, it's a beautiful picture of, of what God has done to save us. And so we may think, okay, great. Jesus has done this. He's come. He saved us. Now life is just going to be all, all 
peaches and cream and just hunky-dory happy. Um, no pain, everything's gone, everything's good. And yet, Peter here says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. That's our, oh man, this is amazing. Though, this is verse six, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he acknowledges maybe one of the reasons he's writing to them is that he's heard that they're having a really tough time up there. There's some hard things going on. We don't know exactly what he's referring to, but we can relate that there's hard things going on with us. There's grief, there's loss, there's pain, um, there's trials, there's suffering. In the midst of, we've received these, this good news, this grace, but yet there's still these difficulties in life. And I think one of the main reasons he wants to write this letter to these folks is to talk about how to make sense of this reality that Jesus has come, God has sent the savior, and yet we're still in a place where we're experiencing pain, we're experiencing grief, we're experiencing loss, these trials. And he goes on right after this, he says, um, these have come, the reason these have come, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then the end of verse says, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he says there's a great purpose in these trials that God is going to bring some great benefit to us um, that's worth far more than gold, that our faith is going to be built up, that these things are going to happen. So there's, there's a purpose in these trials, in the grief and the pain that we're going through. Um, so so he, he starts the letter to them by painting this picture. Let me remind you of this great news. God has sent the Savior. We have new life in him. And it's not based on what we do. It's based on his love, his forgiveness. And I understand and acknowledge your reality, that you're experiencing this really rough time, grief, pain, suffering, trials. And I want you to know that God has a purpose in it. He's going to redeem that and he's going to bring blessing. So, so he says, based on this reality, you know, what is that, what does that mean for how we might engage in life now? And so that's that's sort of where he starts in on the first 13 of the red. He's going to talk about what what would it look like to engage, to react to these things? So he says, therefore, because this is true, because of those, that situation that you find yourself in and all of us find ourselves in, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. One of the most kind of I don't know, natural or common ways to when we're faced with the pain and suffering in our lives is, is to kind of maybe react in one of two ways. Um, you know, one is to seek ways to numb that pain, to avoid it by altering the state of our mind in some way or another, um, whether that be with a substance, whether that be with some activity, whether that be with, whatever it is 
that we just feel that pain. We're like, we need this pain to go away. How can I numb it? How can I numb that pain? Um, or, or we seek to find a way to change our situation outwardly uh, to, to get rid of the pain. Maybe we think, well, if I can just be, <clears throat> if I can just be good enough, I can just do the right thing. If I can obey everything that the Bible says, maybe then I will avoid all the pain in my life. Well, maybe I'll have to teach everyone around me uh, also to obey everything that's in the Bible so they don't cause me pain anymore. Well, if everyone were just to be able to do everything right all the time, maybe we could avoid pain. Or maybe I can just at least avoid pain for myself by manipulating everyone else who's causing me pain to not cause me pain anymore by um, by trying to create favor or, or do something. Um, but, you know, I think these are two sort of common ways that we, we try to approach this idea of pain. But, but, but Peter starts by saying, with minds that are alert and fully sober. So he says, you know, you're trying to, you know, we have this temptation in us to avoid pain, right? Um, you know, one, one of our favorite movies is uh, The Princess Bride, and there's a, there's a quote in it where one of the characters says to the other, Life is pain, and anyone who tries to tell you different is selling you something. And, and the reality is that we're buying that all the time. There's promises all over the place about what can get rid of our pain, and we're buying it all the time. But the reality is that pain is a constant in our life. And Peter says, because of this message of Jesus, we can be alert and fully sober, which means that we're facing that pain, that we're aware of it, that we're, we're sober, we're feeling it, we're there, we're present with it, that we're allowing it to be there, we're, we're allowing ourselves to experience it. And why, why, is that, why, why is that a good thing? He says, being sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So because our hope is in the grace, the gift of God that's not deserved, we can allow our pain to be there because our hope is not in our ability to save ourselves, our ability to make life the way that we want to make it. The, the, whatever way we can try to work things around based on our own wisdom to make life good. But we're trusting that God is going to make life and so even if there's pain, that can be part of God making life good for us. We can trust him. We set our hope on that grace to be brought to us. And as, we'll see, as you'll see as we, we go through this, there's several points at which Peter mentions family relationships, that he mentions closeness, connection, love. And I think a big piece of what this salvation is that God us through Jesus is the reconnection to broken relationships first and foremost us with God but also us with one another and if if the great gift of salvation the great gift that Jesus wants to give us through forgiveness through this grace is a reconnection of relationships that that experiencing pain together in those relationships can actually deepen those bonds and he the next verse, he starts with that family relationship as obedient children, 
do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We hear the word obedient, and, and I think many of us have a little bit of a reaction to, to that part of like, rubs us a little bit the wrong way because a lot of us have had experiences with people uh, in authority, big authority roles over us who have maybe abused this idea of obedience, that they have wanted us to obey them for their benefit and to our detriment. And we're a little wary of giving ourselves to obey anyone or anything other than ourselves. Uh, so we, we, we shrink in this a little bit, um, but, you know, I was reflecting on like the idea of why would being an obedient child to God, why might that be a good thing? And, and, and so I thought about the fact that, you know, I have two boys um, and my older one is almost 10, Lucas, and he, you know, I would really like him to do the things that I ask him to do. Uh, I think that would be a good thing. And, and so I was reflecting, why, why would that be a good thing? Um, and though sometimes in my weakness, it's just, I would just, it'd just be really good for me if he just did what I asked him to do. But I know that that's not the, the deepest reason. But the deepest reason is that I believe that the things that I'm asking him to do are going to be good for him. Not just good for him, but it's going to be the best for everyone involved. That I, I hope in, in my best moments that I'm asking him to do things that's going to benefit him and to benefit those around. And I do that imperfectly, but God does that perfectly with us. But the things he asks us to do, he's not doing for his benefit and our detriment, but because he believes that, that those things he's asking us to do are going to be the best for everyone involved so he says as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance but just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do and, and i think in this context the conforming to the evil desires at least part of that is that that way that we interact with uh the pain and suffering of life because a lot of our decisions in life are based on how how can we manage our lives to be as good as possible. And a big part of that is trying to avoid painful situations, to avoid suffering, to avoid trap. He says the desire to avoid that may be one of the things that's leading to destructive things in your life, that those desires are leading you to treat other people poorly, to treat yourself poorly, to, to try to you know, take things that aren't yours, to, you know, all kinds of things, these desires that's leading. He says, you know, don't conform to that anymore. You know, don't imitate that anymore because that's leading you to a place that's not, not good. He says, but just as he called you, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. <laughs> you first read this, be holy because I am holy. It sounds like the most impossible command that God ever given us how can we be perfect like god that's what it sounds like saying just stop doing anything wrong and just do everything right but i think in this context it's not so much 
a holiness of behaving correctly all the time, but it's a, a letting go of that old way of approaching life and embracing a new way. Um, you know, holy has this meaning really of being set apart, um, of being different. And, and God is, you know, described as holy because he's, you know, he's different than us because he doesn't approach and see life the way that we do. He has different priorities. And he's inviting us to imitate his priorities rather than continue to conform to what the world is telling us what, what we've been used to, especially in this way of approaching pain. So, so when you see that, be holy as I am holy, it's not a, you need to you know, live to my standard or else there's going to be punishment, but it's an invitation to, to imitate him, to be like him, to, you know, conform ourselves to what his family is like. And, uh, you know, imitation brings all kinds of joy. Our other son, Oliver, is almost two now, and he is in the stage of just imitating everything, whether it's what Lucas is doing, whether it's what we're doing. You know, he just imitates words that we're saying, imitates actions, and, you know, laughs when we laugh. And, you know, it's, there's so much joy and so much connection in him conforming himself to what our family is like. It's not like, oh, we're the best family, and so you need to be like us. But he's just naturally, you know, conforming himself to you know, who we are. And he's just taking joy in that. Or we're taking joy in that. And that's creating these bonds of love and connection that just bring so much joy to all of us. And so this is the invitation here of being holy as God is holy, just to begin to imitate, begin to fold ourselves into the family of God and to begin to make those bonds deeper with him and those that share, share that. He continues since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Again, he brings out this idea of family, that God is our father, that this relationship has been restored. Uh, and he brings out this reality of who God is, that he judges um, each person's work impartially. And, uh, you know, if we go back to describing how some of the ways that we try to interact with and manage the pain and suffering in our lives, you know, one of those was, you know, trying to avoid pain by, you know, manipulating the other people in our lives. And, um, you know, if someone's in power and they're not completely impartial or fair, there's a possibility that you can, you know, corrupt them by bribing them or something to curry their favor. And, you know, if you, you know, sort of think about the kind of the reality of the Roman deity world, all the, all those gods, there was always a lot of this talk about appeasing the gods that you know, their actions are not based necessarily on fairness or justice or logic, but if you just give them the right sacrifice or you do this for them, then you know, they'll be favorable towards you and you won't you know, suffer from them, right? And so I think people 
can gravitate towards that kind of approach to God, to to the world, to the situation of like, well, who can I find that has power to um, uh, to you know sway them to my side so that I can benefit, even though I don't deserve it, right? And so, so Paul is uh, Peter is reminding us that we call on a father who is impartial. He's not swayed by those things, right? Um, that, that approaching it that way is not going to get us anywhere with God. And that if we're basing our hope on, you know, our own abilities or that, that, you know, it's going to come up short. But that through Jesus, he's redeemed us so that God can, you know, treat us with goodness, right? Which is what he goes on to say. Um, that the next part is all about Jesus redeeming us. And so he says, the response to this is live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Um, it's a reminder, again, of where's our connection? Where's our relationship? That this world, this place where we are right now, um, though God's kingdom is also here, it's not fully here. And so we're not fully at home yet. We're sort of traveling abroad for a while while we're here. And it, it reminds us of what God has done to bring us connection, bring us back into relationship with him. And so that's a good reminder to not conform ourselves to here because this is not our home, but conform ourselves to where our home is in you know, the presence of God, the family of God. And reverent fear. This idea is, you know, fear brings up connotations of, being in danger or punishment. But I think the idea here is more just that feeling you get when you step into some place, a room or a, you know, outdoors, somewhere where it's just bigger than you. That you realize I'm, I'm not in control of this situation. Like there's a power bigger than me going on here. And we, we have this awe, this respect, this reverence, this reminder that, you know what, like, I don't have what it takes to control everything. There's a bigger power out there. And that's an appropriate response as we realize, you know, whose family we're in. So he goes on, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So part of our response is just based on this recognition that, wow, the value of what Jesus gave, the value of what God gave, for us on our behalf because he loved us because he wanted to redeem us that's also brings us into the state of just gratefulness the state of you know reverence and awe uh, and and you see how god is working on his behalf on our behalf to restore that connection he went to this place to give of himself so that we can be restored. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, 
love one another deeply from the heart. When he says you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, I feel like he's harkening back to this idea of you're used to interact with life in this way. You're trying to avoid pain. You're trying to make it yourself. You're trying to do what you could. Um, but now you've realized that that doesn't save you. That doesn't make it for you. And you've received the, this other way, this way of gaining life by forgiveness, this life by um, the grace of God. You've obeyed that truth, that that's what can save you. And that results in sincere love for one another. Just this ability to care for one another, not, not jockey for power or try to um, make it ahead on your own. But true unconditional love can happen. And because you have that love, pursue that even more. You know, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So this new life is not based on what us mortals, us imperishable, or, or, the, us perishable people are able to bring to the table. Our glory is like the flowers of the field, they wither, flowers fall, you know. When it comes to the end, what our power and our ability is able to bring us is, you know, not enough. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And, and God's power and God's ability can carry the day. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, I think he specifically mentions these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, because those are all ways that we interact with other people when we're trying to manage our pain, either by numbing it or by trying to overcome it by being good or by manipulating other people. If we were to let go of that and just receive it from God, there would be no need for malice, no need to deceive, no need to be hypocritical, no need to envy what other people have or to talk badly about other people. There's no need to do that when we're just receiving all that we need from God. And... Um, You know, those, those things, you know, distract us from the reality of what's going on in our lives. It's, it's our way of trying to avoid that pain and suffering. Um, but, but God is inviting us to be present with it, uh, to just take life as it comes. Like newborn babies, you know, they, 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 they're not trying to manage their world. They're just you know, experiencing everything that there is, right? And, you know, the pure spiritual milk is just what nourishes us, that receiving God's unconditional love and just saying, you know what? Like, 
this is where I'm focusing my heart and my mind and my attention. And just this, this purest idea that, you know what, God loves me just as I am. And that what is happening in my life, I could be present with that. And that God is going to love me in the midst of that. That he can bring blessing, he can bring connection, he can bring relationship and deepen that as I am honestly experiencing and acknowledging whatever it is that I'm going through, whether it's a really hard time right now or it's a really amazing time to rejoice or somewhere in between or a mix of all these different things, that when we bring that honestly, so soberly and just acknowledge that, that God, that's where we can find, you know, deep connection, deep love, sincere love for, with God and with one another. And that growing up in our salvation is not becoming a more and more a good person, but more and more embracing this approach to life um, that God has called us to participate in imitative him. Because, you know, he says, look, you tasted what that can be. You've had a little bit of that, right? That the Lord is good. That that kind of living is where real life can be found. So he invites us to just embrace that um, as that's what he's like. Uh, let, let's pray together. God, we just acknowledge that you know, there's, there's pain for all of us in different ways. And we've all tried to manage that in one way or another, avoid it or try to overcome it or manipulate things so that there isn't pain in our life anymore. And uh, please help us to just set aside that, that old way of doing things that we might embrace just receiving your care even in the midst of that pain, to acknowledge it, to embrace it as something you can use to bless us with connections, bless us with life, forgiveness, and hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.